This is episode 46 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 46 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Jose Jaffergy on the show and he has got his hands in just about everything. He started back in 2007 at the age of 23. 23 investing in single family properties he had a couple of hiccups along the way but now he's flipping homes eight hundred thousand dollar homes in toronto he's accumulated a portfolio of 44 doors and he is working with his wife side by side uh, on new ventures like multifamily investing and development investing Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge and he's he's got some incredible ambition i know you're going to get a ton from this interview he talks about his off-market buying tactics these are implementable strategies that anyone can use if they're willing to put in the work and i know you're going to get a lot out of this just a bit of quick housekeeping the next greater hamilton rei meetup is happening on january 16th and that is going to be hosted at the Nickelbrook Brewery. For detailed information on the event, please make sure that you click the link in the show notes of this episode and join our private Facebook group. You'll need to be on the guest lists in order to attend. It just helps us keep track of our numbers. So if you could please go ahead and do that now. I absolutely love to meet fellow real estate investors and build my network, uh, help share stories, share contractors, and share best practices so that we can all grow together and get better at this game. I also wanted to make a quick comment that this is the last episode of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast for the decade, for the year. Uh, So the next one will be out in the new year. I wanted to wish everyone who's listening a happy new year. Thank you very much to all the different guests that have been on this show this year and to you, the listeners and watchers, for making this such an awesome year. Um, There's been so much positive feedback around this podcast, and I understand that it is helping quite a few people. So I wanted to thank you for all your support throughout all this and uh, wish you a happy new year. And I will see you in the new year, hopefully at the January 16th real estate meetup. So without further ado, here is episode 46 with Jose Jaffergy. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Jose Jafarji on the show, and I think I did say that right. Yes, correct. Thank yeah. You. Thank you very much for, for coming on the show. I know we, we had a chance to meet at Irwin's Wealth Hacker event, and uh, you seem like an interesting guy. You seem like you got a story to tell, so I'd love to hear it. Why don't you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you for inviting me over on the show. And um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I started with uh, Humble Beginnings, uh, uh, you know, I started getting into real estate. Um, in, I bought my first property in 2007, but before that, I graduated from McMaster University with an engineering degree. A uh, very, very hard degree to start, and and uh, you know, started my corporate life right after that. Um, since then, uh, I've I bought quite a number of properties, and uh, here we are today. Yeah. So, so 2007 was the start. 2007 was my first property. Yes. Okay, and what did you buy? I bought a. I, my intention was to uh, fix and flip this property. It was in uh, in Brampton, close to where I used to live. So um, things didn't go quite as planned. Um, I ended up losing about seven thousand dollars on that first deal. But I had zero knowledge on what I was doing. All I knew was, you know, what I saw on uh, flip this house kind of shows. Yeah. So. Zero, zero knowledge, and, and uh, I thought it was just as easy as what these guys on TV made it out to be, and um, it, it didn't end up working out the way I wanted. The market started to cool off at that time in 07, but it was a, the best $7,000 learning experience uh, today, you know. You've got longer in the game than a lot of the people I have on this show, you know, starting back in 2007. That's, that's a while. You, you don't look like you're old enough to have started in 2007. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, it was just right after school. I, you know, I wasn't too happy with my corporate job, and I, so I started exploring into what what else can I do besides, you know, there's got to be something else out there rather than just me working in the corporate world. So I started exploring other, you know, money making business opportunities. Uh, so I joined some mar- mar- multi level marketing groups. And and I learned a lot from them, you know, mostly in terms of my mindset training. So started reading a lot of books and started listening to a lot of CDs, and that's that's the that's a habit I still have today, which has been a, a paramount to uh, 
my success and you know self-improvement listening to audio every day uh, what kind of stuff are you listening to are you like an audible library or podcast? yeah so uh, i switched to audible about a year ago uh, but i used to have cds in my car you know i pretty much have an amazon order uh monthly if not more yeah so an amazon or an audible an extra audible book. exactly um you might name it off a few of your your favorites yeah so the the first the reason the most recent one i listened to was uh called uh it's it's very nobody i'm sure has heard of it it's called uh people's principles it's a it's a real estate deal making book uh very kind of similar feel to art of the deal by donald trump uh he goes into specifically how he started and how you know just his first deal made him a millionaire this was a guy you know came from nothing so it was very very interesting and and um it's something that pumped me up uh start looking for bigger deals because this guy started with a one one big deal that changed his whole life and now he's worth probably about half a billion oh wow for context your story because i know we, we actually did speak for like an hour on the phone um not that long ago you had mentioned to me you're kind of like shifting gears you've been doing a lot of the the single family or investment properties and you're kind of thinking about development more now yeah absolutely. could you just give our audience some context as to what you've got in your portfolio right now yeah uh so so we we start off you know single family homes was our bread and butter until about five years ago we you know the cash flow numbers started getting smaller so we started implementing the uh, sweet conversion strategy, which was, you know, combined, like all of our properties that I've, we've acquired over the years has always been a value add strategy. So we always buy something that we could uh, add value by doing some work to it. So um, single families and now uh, um, over the last five years, it's been primarily sweet conversions. And um, so we have a 26 properties are around 44 doors that so far that we've acquired so next as you mentioned um, uh, we've been looking for multifamily and and also really digging deep into some development opportunities okay so multifamily and then development have you have you lined up any multifamily yet no multifamily has been a tough uh, tough game to get into uh, it's just you know the challenge has been that there isn't much inventory as a lot of uh, listeners are facing the same issue and and also you got to have you know trying to make the connections to get these types of deals there's been very very few transactions that actually go on mls um, especially the bigger ones so so far we haven't acquired anything and, and so we started getting earlier this year that's what we were thinking to get into multifamily but now it's been more so towards development as well as multifamily if we can find something okay so you're looking for the for the developments obviously multifamily um why don't we just step back a little bit before we dig into that? Sure. When you got started, how did you fund that first deal that you lost seven thousand dollars on? Where where was that money coming from? How did you structure that? The first that? deal was actually um, my dad helped me out, uh, so we used uh, his uh, line of credit to. Uh, at that time, I was still I was it was my first job, so I was employed, and I so I could use my credit to uh, to qualify, but the down payment specifically came from uh, from my dad and, and just to add to that i didn't have any power team uh, or any realtors that i knew so i basically ended up using my dad's recommended realtor which was primarily you know used to dealing with homeowners yeah not investors yes exactly and and so made a ton of mistakes in the acquisition of that property it was it was a power of sale however power of sales are usually not always great deals and not not in the best neighborhood so ended up overspending on the renovation was probably my the biggest mistake i made okay did you have a contractor do the work for you yeah yeah my we had a contractor which was also recommended by my realtor at the time and uh but my my brother and i used to you know did a lot of uh sweat uh labor into it you know did the landscaping and and yeah. some painting learned some hard lessons from that uh experience but Definitely, I'm glad I started early. Well, that's incredible. How old were you? 2007, you just graduated? Yes, I'm um, trying to date myself. Like 21 uh, or 22? No, no, I was, uh, I, was uh, I believe, 23. 
You're 23 when you got started. I was 24 when I got started. So similar, uh, similar age range. Um, but you've got you've got some good time in the in the market. Obviously, Absolutely, you've, you've yeah. learned a lot. Absolutely. I would assume. I, you know, the last uh, 10 years has been probably the perfect storm in terms of uh, getting into the market. Uh, especially, you know, I would say about 70% of my portfolio is in Hamilton, which has done substantially better than uh, some of the other areas. But, you know, I, I'm glad I got into it uh, when I did. So bulk of that that portfolio in Hamilton, what were the uh, year ranges that you you bought in? So and let me take you back even further. I, I started buying in um, 07. It was my first property, but then I took a little bit of a break to 09. I started buying in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, back then, they had a lot of uh, great deals available. Yeah. So in Hamilton, I, um, I, I bought my first property in 2012. 2012. Yeah. Okay, and did you buy several more in, over those coming yes, years? Yes. Um, yeah. Great time to get into Hamilton, right then. Yeah, and, and uh, at the time, yeah, the the single prop single family were were you know around the low 200s. We bought some multifamily like smaller uh, triplexes, uh, two triplexes uh, in the downtown area. We we went through a lot of hard tenants uh, in the downtown area, oh, so yes. we started looking up on the mountain. And that's that. That has been a, a primarily our strategy: buying on the mountain over the last few years. Yeah, I think the demographic is going to shift off the mountain. And the, for those who aren't familiar with Hamilton, on the mountain, off the mountain is just there's a there's a, an escarpment there. And if you're up on the escarpment, then you're on the mountain. Not really a mountain, but the demographic in Hamilton has been changing because the prices have been changing. The Toronto crowd is being pushed to Hamilton, so Hamilton just keeps getting better. Absolutely. Yeah. And there was a there was a lot of improvement area there. So uh, yeah. so you know a lot of investors such as yourself are really reaping the benefit from just hanging on. Has flipping ever been a, a major part of your strategy? Yes, uh, especially recently. Just about uh, some. I, I we had twins about a year and a half year ago. Uh, so congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so twins actually just changed our entire life. My my wife and I was we never expected this to. But we have identical twins now, which we're we're blessed with. However, it comes with a lot of challenges, and uh, so there was a lot of time pressure on myself. So I started transitioning from, you know, and my active income uh, was through my real estate sales, uh, um, um, licensed realtor. And then I started looking into like, I'm already applying this, the Burr strategy, which that's how I've grown my portfolio, which is buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. That's been your main strategy that's the whole way? My, that's been my main strategy, even with single family homes when I first started. I started the... Uh, saying to myself, hey, we're doing the same thing. Why don't we open up our area instead of just looking at the, these investor towns? So right now, we do a lot of fix and flip in all of the GTA, wherever we can find deals. Uh, a lot of, we've had a lot of success in the, you know, closer to Toronto, downtown Toronto area. and um, But your price point must be million bucks, $800,000 yeah, to Yeah, we, we actually, in Toronto, there are certain pockets that you can... Um, stick to under we always stick to under a million so our resale value would be you know around eight nine hundred thousand and and those ones they sell very quickly so you're not into the finishing you're you're selling the finished product yes for under a million in toronto so you're buying what five six hundred yes exactly on a detached or semi-detached semis yeah or a a townhome there's a lot of those townhomes that are that are not condos in in toronto so is that kind of your bread and butter buying on those side streets and yeah exactly so you know we're doing a lot of work in the close to the junction not exactly in the junction area but close to it so that's kind of having a ripple effect from the junction uh so still uh fairly affordable under we just recently sold one, uh, which was in the mid eights. And give me a description of the type of house. Uh, this was a this was a two story detached. Um, however, only two bedrooms. Um, detached. Detached. Yeah, it, it, it was. You could probably call it a, a semi because it was literally like, there. You know, it was only about fifteen, fourteen hundred square feet or so. Yeah, that's a good. The junction, yeah, I, I, I had to look it up because I'm not that familiar with all the neighborhoods of Toronto, but that's a, an area for a lot of improvement too. Kind of has that Hamilton, had the Hamilton vibe a yes. little bit. So I, I look for areas that are kind of, 
you know, uh, has has the ripple effect on the, the areas that already improved. Because yeah. Junction, like, if you went there about 7 to 10 years ago, it, it wasn't very appealing. Now, now it's very, you know, kind of has that uh, nice vibe to it, hipster vibe. Yeah. And, and is you know... The average price is uh, is probably around one point one one point two, depending on the or property. A semi, yeah, or or a detached even. Yeah, they're small though. Yeah, smaller. Like, they're like smaller zero lot line stuff. Exactly. The houses yeah. just built right up against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm looking at the areas that are upcoming or surrounding that. You know, on the on the on the and then also on the east end, I do the same thing. So we just recently did a finished a project. Uh, near Danforth and Woodbine, which uh, worked out really well too. So help me walk me through that again. So so if it was if it was Junction, that was the area that was really hurting the most and really needing improvement. This was ten years ago, like seven to ten years ago. So those, so yeah. at that time, that was a pretty rough area. Yes. Uh, you know, not a desirable area compared to the rest of Toronto. Now, granted, all of Toronto is desirable compared to other cities uh, from an investor standpoint. So you would look not in the center of the junction, but on the fringe, or would you be looking in the neighboring neighborhoods? Because isn't High Park North, which is immediately south of that, isn't that neighborhood worth more because it's closer oh, yeah, to High absolutely. Park? I, w- I wouldn't touch anything. That's why I stick. I, I, I study the basically the MLS neighborhoods and see the average price points. And anything that's you know around the average price point under eight or nine hundred thousand. That's that's kind of the, the the area that I prefer to work with. Mm-hmm. So we look for properties in those specific pockets. So if I wanted to find a house in Toronto right now under eight hundred thousand, what neighborhoods would you say that you're looking at that I would want to look at? Yeah. So so for example, we do we've done quite a few deals near like Weston in St. Clair, uh, which is called the uh, Rockcliffe area. And you know what I found with Toronto market, especially when it comes to fix and flip. People are less price sensitive in comparison to like, you know, for example, uh, Hamilton or Mississauga. For a great product, once you're done with it, you know, people are willing to pay a little bit of premium. They're not as price sensitive. Like they will pay, you know, twenty five, fifty thousand more, uh, you know, and not not pay very close attention to comparables because that's the thing. So it's more emotional in Toronto, you're saying? Yeah. And and also they're there a, a really high quality product is hard to find so they they know that and they're willing to pay a little premium for it so your renovations when you're done is it like done to the nines you guys put quartz and stainless oh, absolutely and yes engineered hardwood and accent features and really expensive light fixtures yes, all that stuff yes. pot lights throughout absolutely. are you rewiring and gutting these units Yes, a lot of the a lot of these homes have like not been tube yeah so, so we, new plumbing new electrical yeah a lot of times we we redo push yeah we we have to redo the wiring, some of the plumbing we have to redo, um, and we often add uh, you know we finish the basement just to give it an extra extra square footage to the house. And how big are these basements? Like four or five hundred square feet sometimes. Uh, yeah, they they could be around uh, you know under I would say under seven hundred square feet. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm just picturing I, I picture. You know, having driven around these neighborhoods, some of the houses that are just sandwiched up against each other and they just look so small. I'm like, how do people fit in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and a lot of times you have, you know, parking issues. Like we bought quite a few properties that have zero parking. So renovation is definitely tough. Um, however, you know, if you can make the numbers work, that's where yeah. I'll go. It, this caught me a, a little by surprise that uh, you had a big flipping business which i'm interested in so let's say uh, take a recent example on your buy so give me a, a recent if you had something in Rockcliffe or yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so we we just uh, finished a project um we bought that for um 460 and yeah and then and we sold it for 810 Oh wow, that's a good spread. Um, um, what was we, your rental we, cost? Yeah, we spent uh, around one hundred and forty thousand, including rental and carry. Uh, no, just renovation costs. So one hundred and forty on reno, and that's to reno like that was one of my, my my big, biggest deal of the year, like in terms of profit margin. 
Well, that's a pretty um, ridiculous uh, price point to, to buy at inside of Toronto. Yeah, this was uh, the private sale off-market Oh, deal. so you found a lead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, so you said 800 or? 810. 810. Well, yeah. Okay, so 810 was the, the sale. What were, your, uh, what were your carrying costs? So, you know, I'm... Uh, because I do this uh, you know, on a volume basis, you know, I, I have my private lenders that I've got to pay. So I'm paying fees and I'm paying, uh, you know, um, high interest on these loans as well. Um, and you've got double land transfer tax double in Toronto. Land trans- yeah, if you factor so, in all of that, like um, your lawyers, approximately, lenders. Yeah, like an additional like 40000 I was going to say fifty, but yeah, forty. Yeah. Um, okay, so 40000 on top of there. So... Um, what I, I like to just set these up as an income statement so that that covers everything now re, uh, realtor fee did you pay one yes uh, I, I I represented myself on, as on the listing side but I have to pay the other side so broker uh, okay on, so on the buyers realtor fee uh, so what a two and a half percent roughly okay so so two and a half percent of that so there are there are some benefits to being a realtor uh, if yeah, you're, if you're an investor, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There are disadvantages too, but uh, I, I've I've contemplated it. I've contemplated it pretty much the entire time I've been an investor. But uh, just yeah, you know what? Sometimes you know it does kind of box you into a certain way of thinking, or you may think that, that you know that specific area, but it may not be as well as somebody that's very very local to it, right? And, and that's why I prefer to do business in areas that I know. Yeah, like what level of confidence? Because to me, I'll tell you, um, it it, it kind of makes me feel a little uneasy uh, to get into big numbers. And and depending on who I'm selling to, yeah. I might be uneasy selling at an eight hundred thousand dollar price point. Now in Toronto, when you say eight hundred thousand, I'm thinking uh, my preconception would have been that would be what you were buying inventory at, not what you were selling it at. So I think you could. Like if it were me, I'd probably feel fairly comfortable knowing there was a, about $150,000 on the table in this deal. So I calculated 147750 Yeah, my exactly. Your, your, your numbers are quite accurate. I we, we netted about 140 on that one. So you netted about 140 So yeah, so when you say we, is it... Oh yeah, yeah. like my wife and I, uh, we're both in the business together. Because you work together on... And have you? how long have you been married and working together? Um, yeah, so it was our 10-year anniversary this year, which was quite special. And she's been with me in this journey from the very beginning. Uh, right even, back in 2007? Even prior to um, us getting married, uh, we used to travel, you know, um, go down and see properties like uh, in when I, when I first started in Windsor, Ontario. Um, I, we also, we also had bought some properties in, uh, in, uh, us. So we used to drive down to us together. Where in us? In, uh, Rochester, New York. So she, she knows the business inside out as much as I do. And she primarily handles all of our property management and acquisition side in terms of financing and all that. Okay. So Jose, if you don't, don't mind uh, me asking, what is your strategy for finding new inventory, finding deals to, to flip? So we do a lot of marketing and, and that includes online marketing. We have a, a strong online presence. Like Facebook On, or? Uh, so we, we, we do some Facebook ads, um, mostly for retargeting specific uh, if, if visitors already been on our website. Um, and all Google AdWords, doing Bing ads as well. So you know we cover as much as we can on the on the uh, and we spend a lot of time and effort on SEO on our website. So we you know for what ch- though? Like what are people searching for when they find it, you? There there tend to be you know motivated sellers that that need to really unload the property and primarily there has to be you know minimum at least two if not three motivators. We find that, you know, first is, okay, property needs a lot of work and, and they can't afford to do a home, you know, the seller can't afford to take on any more renovations. Second reason could be financial. Yeah, they don't have the financial means to do the renovations. They may already have a second mortgage on the property, which they're kind of, it's hard for them to keep up with. And if there's a third one, it's a guaranteed like super sweet deal. 
Like which, guaranteed that they want to sell. They, they, yeah, they want to sell. And, and, and so it could be the third motivator could be either they, it's a, you know, uh, they've missed a payment. If they've missed a payment and, and they've got a, some kind of a default letter, those are the, the, high, the highest motivated sellers. It doesn't happen that often, but it could be like, you know, a, a third reason could be a health related, right? They, they, they really need the money because they need to downsize and, and, and they, you know, they need surgery or something like that. So that type of person, how, how are you reaching them? Most of the time they're reaching us. Okay. So they're, they're searching. What are they, what would somebody like that search for? Um, the most frequently used term is, uh, you know, sell my house fast. Really? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and, and, and oftentimes they know that they don't want to go through the uh, traditional method of, you know, waiting, going through a realtor, waiting three, four months yeah. on the, for the process. They don't have the time. Uh, if they're, especially if they're really need to, uh, if, if they've already gotten a letter from a creditor, you know? Yeah. The time is of the essence. And I think that, um, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it in, in leads that I've generated. People just have to sell. Like they yeah. just they just got to get it get it gone. Um, so it, you know, and, and if if time is of the essence, I know my friend negotiated a deal. I've mentioned it a few times on here. Like they had to have and be out in thirty days. Yeah. No realtor can do that. If they're listing exactly. your house. They can't do that. And 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 we 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 are very upfront about the whole process with them. My wife tells them over the phone that uh, why not list it with a realtor. Yeah, give them the option. Give them yeah. the option, and sometimes that that's that might be in their best interest. So we tell them, you know, if we can't help them, um, or they have unrealistic price expectations, we say we you know probably recommend that you use a realtor because you do have time to sell your yeah. prop. If they have time and they're not like embarrassed to yeah. you know to show their house, I see. I see a lot of the cases there. There is some embarrassment, so they tend to not go through and show it on, you know, put it on the open market because they, you know, it, some for some people it's a private thing. They don't want to, you know, go through and and have you know fifty people walk through their property. Especially there's there's some emotional connection to the property and right. and they they may feel that there's an invasion of their privacy so they're willing to give up a little bit of money for that right and, and for the convenience that we provide yeah and and how would you position that to them in order to be able to to secure the deal so you, you go in and and they've obviously contacted you so these people are they've actively searched for the most part would you say that's a, that's a big part of your yes. your leads so they've actively searched you get a call and they're like hey i'd like you know i'd like to sell my house you you talk over the phone with them about their rough expectations yeah, exactly. exactly and we, then you we, decide to go see it if, if it makes right. sense that's right we okay. we have um you know basically some qualifying questions you know as far as the condition of the house uh what type of um, date were they looking to move you know um, what kind of time frame they have and and then we ask them what's their price what kind of ballpark are they looking to get for it if it's in a range that makes sense for us then we will go. Out, the next step is to go out and see the property. So, don't, how often do you find when they when they respond back? How often do you find that they're giving you a price that that is just silly? Well, it's ninety percent of the time. It, that's it's a no deal, you know. So, but we, do you ever push them on it and just say, "Whoa, that's that's you know, yeah, quite yeah, a bit some, too high. yeah." We do sometimes. Sometimes the, the price is just unrealistic. Or if it, if they're describing a property that, oh yeah, we recently upgraded the kitchen. Yeah, then you know. Then, yeah. then, I, then we know, right? Yeah. Or we. If they try to sell us on the on the pro, uh, on the property, yeah. then we know okay, this is probably not the right fit for us. Sure. So it, it's it's a bunch of um, dead leads that we have to go through in order for us to get a decent one. And and yeah. so it's it's kind of all of a numbers game. Have you have you tried doing other uh, other tactics to generate leads that aren't online tactics? Yeah, we 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 do postcards as well. However, postcards it's sort of hit and miss. You know, we, we we target a lot of neighborhoods, and and we would get basically no deals. Uh, so we we pick and choose, and and uh, so it's all a test and measure game. That you know, we never know. Sometimes it could be the time of the month or the time of the year may work better than other times. Sometimes there's specific pockets that you need to target, which there's no hundred you know 100 percent certain to whatever we do but it's it's all about trial and error right 
Have you noticed a certain time of year is better? Around uh, October, September, October was a decent time. Um, okay. But if you try to do it like in the uh, middle of December, it's probably not going to be successful. And you think it's Unless- just because they're, they're getting, I would think it's almost a motivator. Like some people coming up to Christmas don't have any money for presents and <laughs> yeah, they just want to yeah, get out. It and could get- be, but, but, but by the time you close, they don't, it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. So they're not thinking about it. It's not the, not the greatest time once you're into December. Yeah. Well, winter. Well, sometimes uh, the winter, they they either want to sell before winter, um, because certainly people don't want to move out, in, you know, in the core winter season, right? So they don't want to see you know ten centimeters of snow outside and move. Right. So it's it's usually they set it up. So so for example, we have a, which was very surprising this year. It's happened. We have uh, three deals that are closing. Um, in 2020, and one the one of them is as far as July. Really? Yeah. Um. So it, it's is whatever whatever the seller wants, we give them. But in return, we we have to be able to be comfortable with the price we get. You've yeah, you've got to get your price. That's that's your motivation, and it seems like you're trying to find somebody who's motivated by something that is not price. They might exactly. say, like, I, I've, in my experience, I've noticed that pretty much everybody just says a price that that's high. Uh, I think it's a lot of it's posturing, yeah. but it's the, it's which ones, like you said, did, did they just finish a bunch of renovations or did they just finish telling you about how it needs a lot of work? And then they also priced high. Um, you know, there's I think there's room to, to talk back and say, hey, you know what? You just mentioned it needs all this work. Well, I would have to do that. And I don't you know, I don't want to lose money. That's right. So, no, no, we, yeah. we, we tell them that it there's got to be some money left on the table for us. We as a business got to put food on the table as well. Yeah. And and you know what? Most people appreciate your honesty and, and they're, uh, we give them so much flexibility that they're okay with letting go of the price a little bit. We certainly are not reti- trying to retire on one property, you know. But if you're, if you're going to take the risk and be exposed the way you are and the price point that you are, you have to be compensated for that. Exactly. So, so what level of target profitability are you aiming for on something you're buying for 500? Usually uh, we do our numbers based on uh, around 10% of the resale value yeah, and at sale. the end. Okay, yeah. So you want to make on an 800, you want to make at least 80. Doesn't always work out. Uh, sometimes there's a lot less, but you know, we, we try to aim for that, but then you know, you you may have some cost overruns, but sometimes the market could be in your favor, and you know, there's there's um, the market's gone up, so you may benefit when you're selling. You know, six months after. Yeah. Oh, I've experienced a ton of that in uh, in, in um, my travels. You know, just if the market's on its way up, it's very forgiving if you make a mistake or have cost overruns. If it's not, then yeah, then you have to eat those or or hang tight until the market kind of goes up a bit more, and then you can. Uh, then you can sell it. Um, so it's it's interesting the uh, approach you're taking. How much are you investing into uh, paid advertising on a given month? Probably around. Uh, we well sometimes we we test and measure, but you know if it's something that's worked, then we'll push out another one. But on average, around three thousand. Okay, and that's yeah. just on the online stuff. That's like Facebook, Bing, Google. No, whatever that's the, else. that's uh, yeah, all together. Just on ad spent is probably uh, is around uh, two thousand, and uh, and the additional is like on on the websites and um, uh, we have a you know somebody that manages our ads, so we pay them. Oh, okay, you pay somebody to run them. And, yeah, yeah. Okay, is that outsourced or they work yeah, directly outsourced, for you? Outsourced. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And uh, mainly targeting in in the neighborhoods that you're you're looking for. So yeah, exactly. Can you do that with with Bing and Google? You can geographically target yeah, just absolutely. for a specific area. Okay, so only getting people in that neighborhood. And then I guess the the big question I have, which you know probably is why the the spend is up, is uh, cost per click on on that type of keyword is probably pretty competitive. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, expect to pay around four hundred dollars per click for that. Per click? Yes. Four hundred per click. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, at least Google's getting rich. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's a lot of wasted money and and that's why you have to really know what you're doing and 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 start small. Like we didn't start off that way. You start off with just 500 bucks a month 
you know and and so like it's your click and a half <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and you well if the, if the, if certain ones are too expensive then you you cancel those you right? just don't you, bid it on those yeah, words yeah exactly but the online world is changing so fast you know you got to keep up with it uh google's com- coming out with like something called their own version of their uh, lead ads so you can actually fill out their own fill out a form mini form on the ad something similar that facebook has already done like basically saying what kind of ads you want no no this is like uh let's say you're asking for their email address uh, a name and email address for example instead of you going clicking and going to another website on the form itself on the ad itself you can fill out your information oh okay so they'd just be able to to enter info right there exactly yeah okay are you utilizing so you mentioned you are doing facebook is that just kind of a background strategy or, or have you had success with that too facebook we uh, we don't tar- do cold traffic we just do retargeting okay so you have a pixel yeah we're exactly. getting technical here i th- uh, you'll have to educate me but yeah. basically there's a way of, of tracking them off of the google ad and then it follows them around on exactly and you initiate that through facebook yeah okay yeah. that's handy for for cold ads i mean we found that it was a sort of a, we, we we ran it for over a year and we didn't get any good results so we said let's just focus on retargeting because that's cheap right if you're just trying to exactly. get the the if you have like 10 or 20 people who have clicked your Google ad and you're just following them everywhere, it's not very expensive to follow one person. Yeah, exactly. It gets expensive to follow many people. Yep. And uh, yeah, that's that's brilliant. So primarily online for you. And yeah, online we find uh, probably the best quality leads, the most motivated because they are contacting you. They have a problem that needs to be solved. So they're contacting you. And those leads are always going to be much better. Uh, but but again, it's a numbers game. They you know a lot of times it doesn't work out because the price that they're looking for, or there isn't a big enough motivation yet. Yeah, those, that's the tricky one. I've had a lot of that. You know, I sent out some flyers and I had people call me back and they'd be like, "How much are you going to give me?" I'm like, uh, "Well, oh hi, I'm Andrew, and uh, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd have to see your house first off. Could you give me your address?" Oh, well, you left me a letter. I'm like, yeah, that was a postcard through Canada Post. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyways, it, uh, it's no, we, funny. We, 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 we're faced with the same problems. So it's not a, there's no easier way to do it. Uh, you just have to power you, numbers. You have to power yeah. numbers, yeah. And, and um, How many would you talk to, though? It's like, so in a given month, you talk to 100 people or 50 people and, and maybe find a deal out of that? Yeah, I would say probably around, uh, on average, we get about two per day or so, two calls or so per day. And we usually get about a deal a month. Deal a month? That. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're flipping about a property a month now? Yeah. Are you still trying to actively grow your, your, uh, your hold portfolio? Yes. And, and that's something that has been a little bit on the back burner. Um, however, we, you know, we have... Um, Again, like I was saying, we wanted to look for multifamily. We're still looking, but we're kind of now going to diversify our search into a bigger area, uh, perhaps other other cities, and also maybe have a more of a strategic approach because right now we've just been waiting for something to show up on MLS, which... You know, I thought to myself, I I can't expect a deal from MLS, uh, especially a multifamily. Like everything's get scooped scooped up internally, so um, I gotta figure out a way to get contacts for those. Yeah, it's uh, Mark Baltazar was on the show, and he does a lot of multifamilies in Hamilton, and he's finding them with basically hard work <laughs> locate buildings that look like they you know they may be older and not a lot of work done. And then find the owners and, and mail them, you know, try and find their contact info. Like kind of, you know, hard, hard work, really. Yeah. And yeah, that's, it, that's it, what it comes down to. But the good thing about, a, you know, a multifamily is that even if you just do one deal a year, you're, yeah. you're, you're good, right? It's so. true. But I mean, it's, it's so much. It's not like driving it, it, around a neighborhood. A lot of work. It's not, not like driving around a neighborhood. Absolutely. It's like you, you have to go find them and then, you know, figure out which ones even look worth mailing. And then, you know... It's not like a lot of these numbers are listed. I yes. mean, you can find their property management company potentially. Maybe you can find a number on the uh, on the building and call them. Yeah, possible. No, no, and and that's that's our game plan is to you know have more boots on the ground so that yeah. we can do this because uh, it's mailing them a letter and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's I would say for, for this kind of 
multifamily is probably not very effective. You have to somehow build connections to the property managers and other somehow get in front of the owners. Yeah, and their motivations and, and they, are going to be not, different. And yes, absolutely. They may they're they're not going to be motivated, but you you got to I guess set up um, a relationship so that anytime in the future, yeah, if there is if they are looking to sell, and and a, a lot of these owners are like they've owned this for 30, 40 years, sure. right? So so some of them, if you can catch the ones that are maybe just getting a bit older, maybe they're ready to retire. They don't really need the money from the building anymore. Yeah. They just sell it and, you know, they'll be done with it. So maybe those are your ideal, right? You just make it easy for them. They, they're already way up. They're going to make a bunch of money off you anyway. Yeah. Maybe they don't mind if it goes for a little less than they could get going on the market. Yeah, or sometimes they, they you know, if they're a bigger investor, they may want to buy a bigger building. So they, they, need to, they need to free up the cash quicker. Mm-hmm. And if you're at the right place at the right time, you may be the first person they call, right? So I guess they so got to be the there. Though. They got to know you. <laughs> yeah. They got to know you. That's that's the critical part. Um, okay. So another thing I wanted to ask you, because it was one of the first thoughts on my mind was, how were you funding your deals? Like I know your dad helped you in the first one and you've done burrs, but how were you funding your deals as you got going? Did you take joint venture partners or were you creatively borrowing or were you just making so much money on the ones that you sold that yeah, we that you had we, it? We have some joint venture partners as well. Uh, we also have some private investors, which we basically, you know, they're not equity partners. They're debt, they're debt, debt, uh, debt partners. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, but we we uh, we had um, a system basically that every two months we would refinance a property and um, pull out the equity and buy another one. So that's how it Even early snowballed. on, though? Like your first three, four properties? Um, early on, we... Um, well, the property, you know, we were buying for like 200000 to 250000 So it wasn't a huge deal. But we, we, we always bought something that we could, you know, spend a little bit and maybe create fifty to $75,000 in equity within a year. So when the year rolled by, we were able to refinance. Oh, okay. And at the time... Mortgages were easy back then. Easier, exactly. Uh, right now, you know, with, uh, with the number of properties we have, it's, it is more difficult for us to refinance. Um, Time to go to commercial lending. Exactly. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's kind of, in a way, unfortunate. Uh, but at the same time, where, you know, we can't dwell on the past. Is wish we had jumped into commercial earlier but you know no regrets when you were telling me your story i kind of felt like maybe you shifted over to flipping because the the buy and hold got so difficult and you're like well i want to still want to make money here yeah yeah exactly no it it was strictly like uh, we were already doing this you know fixing up properties instead of renting we were gonna resell it so i started actually we've done quite a few flips in hamilton and then i started looking into opening up the marketplace they why not do it this anywhere because we don't have to keep the property that we're not looking at the rental income anymore right so it makes sense to i get why people flip it does make sense to do it here and there i i I have done it. I actually started a company uh, with a with a partner, and we we made it to flip properties. But I don't I don't love it. Part of me feels dirty when I sell a property. <laughs> but it, it would depend, though, right? If I didn't see great rental p- potential in it, then I, I would be keen on selling it. I, I think. But I mean, you just keep looking at what real estate values do, yeah. and it's always like you're going to look back in two years and you're going to be like, wow, I would have made more if I had waited two years to sell it, or just never sold it 100 percent. no and that's why my wife keeps telling me this year that well we haven't substantially grown our portfolio this year i kind of feel bad that we haven't been able to secure anything commercial right mm-hmm. uh, although commercial is a you no know, a longer time frame you're not necessarily going to find a you know something to buy or a good deal to buy within a couple of months but yeah it's uh, it's one of those things that we really want to, we're anxious to find something. So if your listeners has a deal, um, a multifamily deal, then we're, we're really uh, looking forward to moving ahead. He wants you to contact him. So uh, yeah, your your contact info will be in the episode at the end. We'll uh, we'll share it. So and I'll put it in the show notes. So yeah, this is, is a great way of getting your name out there. Um, and if, you know, if there's, I hope you can get a deal out of it. That'd be great. I hope I get a deal out of it too. So, uh, yeah, I'm always looking for off-market stuff too. And um, 
you know, single families, you know, few units. Those those are kind of the things that are cool for me right now. Yeah. The big ones kind of intimidate me a little bit because of the transition time. If if I want to burr, and I, that's where I'm at, I want to burr stuff. Hundred percent. I don't want to leave money into deals. I wanna I want to find a way to creatively push the value up. Uh, yes, hundred. Yeah, and and yeah, with the bigger deals, like don't expect to live off of those. You got to bleed for a long <laughs> yes. time uh, unless you find a, a lot sweet of deal. Capital improvements mm-hmm. over the you know even the first three four years hopefully sooner but you know it's 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 more so an equity building move oh yeah i mean you're in the long run you're set if you got you got a few like eight plexes 12 plexes 20 plexes in your portfolio in the long run you are so laughing yes uh, these are on 25 year amortizations they pay off you know say it's worth two three million now you know give that 25 years now it's mortgage free and exactly and it's uh no it, and, it's and, and double, i realized that you know multiplier effect on the multifamily is is crazy you know like you basically uh, um a quick way to uh, calculate it is let's say if you have um let's say with all your units you increase the rent by a thousand dollars okay per month so you multiply that by 12 and if you multiply that by 14 that's the number that's the value that you've created okay and that's based on what cap rate on five percent. On a five percent cap yeah. rate. So that's a cool little shortcut. So just yeah. So take your monthly rent times twelve times fourteen. Yes. And now you got the yeah, value. That's what I love about multifamily. If you increase the rents, that's all you really have to do. Yeah. Increase your rents. Exactly. And then you're then you're truly laughing. Yeah, because you know, and and, and the more units you have, yeah. your your expense uh, expenses go down. So you know, on a bigger multifamily, you may be around twenty five percent. Uh, expenses on a smaller deal you might be around 30 35 right so uh you know you get the scale effect and and um that's why they're so powerful yeah it's it's absolutely amazing and that's why i know that's part of my long-term portfolio uh, strategy what i'm more looking at doing right now is just assembling uh, a bunch of duplexes per se into little packages and then refinancing them commercially and building a building out a and when I say commercially, for those that aren't familiar with that, that just means that it's it's with commercial lending at the bank. It's not on the residential side of their lending department. It's handled differently. It's looked at differently. Uh, they they look at more at the properties than they do at you as a as a borrower. And um, so I, that's my my plan is to go more that way and start building packages of at least five doors or more to meet their qualification requirement, and then just keep growing it that way. And I've spoken with a guy already. He says I can just add property in after property. So each time I add a property, I can just add it basically to the policy. It's almost like an insurance policy, but it's a mortgage policy and and it has individual mortgages inside of it. Yeah, I know, that's very cool. This is a great time to just transition into uh, development. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, t- talk to me a little bit about what you've been looking for. Yeah, yeah. So development has been uh, a, a huge, steep learning curve because we had, you know, zero background in it. And it works completely differently than, um, you know, it has some similar ef- effects to, what uh, you know, when you add a secondary suite, you know, go through the city permits and go through renovations and all that. However, it's uh, it's much more complicated uh, much bigger costs. So I started learning a lot more over the last six months into development. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, you know, the, the biggest challenge is finding the right piece of land and or the right opportunity, which has uh, finan- is financially feasible and also doable as our first project. We've done some feasibility. We're, we're, we're kind of close on one specific deal in Hamilton, uh, which is uh, potentially a 24-unit townhouse development. So we're we're doing our studies on that, and um, fingers crossed uh, it it may work out. Have you tied it up conditionally? Yes. Okay. How how much have you invested into uh, planning right now? Uh, pl- planning not much. Well, f- uh, five. Okay. How much How much did they have available for you? Did they already have like a draft site plan approval? No, nothing. Nothing. So. It, did you come up with the concept or did they? No, no, they, just the planner came up with the concept. But you initiated well, yeah, it? Yeah, I initiated it. Um, so we got several different concepts. Uh, we went with townhouses, back-to-backs, towns, three-story versus two. There's also a potential for a six-unit, up to a six-story building on there. Okay, and 
as far as zoning goes, it's not appropriate now. You'd have to rezone. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you're more looking with the planner at what the city's official plan is and how your proposal would fit with it. Yeah. So uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, basically development starts with the city's official plan. Well, the province's official plan, then the city's official plan, which is based off of that. Um, and then you've got zoning, which is based off of what the city's official plan was. So if you find a piece of land that's not zoned appropriately, but it looks like it would make sense, you know, and work with an urban planner. And it looks like it would make sense for maybe townhouses or maybe an apartment building. And, and the ways to know this are uh, apartment buildings typically go in existing high density areas. So if you see an area that's got a bunch of apartment buildings and then some residential houses, if you were to propose adding an apartment building right near other apartment buildings, that would probably lo- be looked at favorably. So you kind of you have to start with a gut feel, maybe work with somebody who's done it. Um, Jose, you're obviously leveraging the expertise of a professional. hundred percent. Yeah. You, you're going to be working with a lot of different consultants and your planner is one of the, uh, yeah. the top, uh, consultants to, uh, yeah. to work with. Cause the urban planner is the person that's been there, done that. Like they're the person that, that has, has taken these type of applications from concept. So, so Jose comes into a meeting and says, I'd like to make, find a development. I found a big parcel of land. What could I do with this? And then the planner goes, they look at, at the, the city's official plan and say, hey, you know what? There's some precedent to be able to do this. And it's really just a thought at that point. You have to invest. It's kind of like a Hail Mary, although it's an educated oh, yes, one. 100%. <laughs> but if it pays out, you're in the position to benefit. If you go and buy a parcel of land that they've already done all that work, then the person who did all that work is going to take take the monster's share of the profit. And you're, you know, then you're going to buy and pay too much. If it, yeah, uh, that's what I've seen on the market. Like people who find stuff that's like site plan approved and they want to buy it. I've run the numbers on them and just concluded there's no money in this. You know, the, yeah. the developer wants to take the money and uh, hey, as they should. But, it, you know, it, it doesn't mean I have to be a sucker and buy it. But uh, so you want to go in there, develop it yourself. And then that's a great way to potentially add a lot of units to your portfolio. Yeah, so I mean, uh, this particular piece of par- the parcel that we're looking at is, you know, there, there's a lot of potential f- into either build to sell or build to lease. But, you know, um, we were primarily looking at it from a build to sell perspective uh, because the, the it's substantial, like it's 1.4 acres uh, with the a potential to add another acre to it if we can get negotiate the negotiate the price right there's a lot of confusion towards the whole list as well because we don't know there's so there's there's two major numbers that you know effectively change the entire performer right which is your sale price at the end and your construction cost which is you know changes the dial quite a bit the market takes so much time to catch up to the changes. Construction costs are way up. Yeah. And I don't believe that real estate values have gone up as fast. It's hard to believe. I think construction costs have gone up more than real estate costs in the last few years. But that makes sense, right? I mean, the the housing market responds to what happens in new construction. So as new construction gets more expensive, so does resale. So you kind of, as a developer, almost have to have some faith when it comes to the numbers. Um, that's not my advice. I'm not giving advice here for, for the record, <laughs> for the record, everyone. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I've seen people, you know, do it right. They, they come in when the, the current market prices don't seem to make a ton of sense, but they have some basis for knowing it's going to get better. I don't, I wouldn't do that, but I do know that there are people that do that. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and you don't know in three years when you, when you're kind of ready for construction projected what your price per square foot will be for construction probably right? going up too uh, i'm sure it's going to go up uh, you don't know by how much but if it's if it's substantially up then you, your project may not be feasible at that time and you're essentially out of luck but as we said uh, you know if if your construction costs have gone up that much then odds are so has the entire market for real estate yeah likely unless our economy just you know anything could happen right i mean the worst could happen too so and that's the most challenging part about development is that you can never get your all your cost hundred percent. Like so, there's so many projections you got to work with that sometimes you know it makes you feel uneasy, right? And because um, there's so much money at stake and and you, there's a substantial risk. It's I kind of describe it as high stakes poker. You're betting a lot on the line. But there is a way to hedge. 
There is a way to hedge yourself, like tying a property up conditionally. I don't know if your plan is to just buy it and work through it. No, no. The the um, good part about this one is that we have um, we're gonna have a long uh, two and a half year close. Two and a half year conditional period. No conditional. How long are you conditional? Um, we've you know right now it's six months, but we could potentially get that extended. Will they allow you to close sooner if you want to? If you want to, yes. But the price the price they want is a little bit on the high side, so they're giving us the flexibility in return. Okay, and giving you a chance to to see if you can turn it into something. Yeah. I think the the real takeaway from all of that is, like you said, it is high stakes, and there's a burn that you're going to have on any development you try and not everyone's going to be feasible and you're you're paying the planner whether or not you're doing the deal and you're paying the lawyers and the engineers and and anyone else you're paying that's the way real estate goes and so it's for that reason it might be the the a a wise twenty five thousand dollar investment up front so you know if this is going to be going to work out or not because it's it's a heck of a lot better to to spend twenty five thousand getting educated and not doing a deal than it is to to do a deal and pay way more by losing money and headaches the years of headaches trying to figure out what to do with that property when you bought the wrong one so yeah that's uh that's a smart way of looking at it um okay so Jose, if someone wanted to uh, to get in touch with you and uh, learn more about what you're doing, maybe uh, help you out finding a multifamily property, sure. uh, knowing that you are a realtor, how would you like them to get in touch? Yeah, so they can visit my website. Um, I haven't been too active on my blog, but uh, they can check out my blog, which is at SavvyRealEstateInvestor.com, which is S-A-V-V-Y RealEstateInvestor.com. Um, my other website is SavvyRealEstate.ca, uh, which is more going to be geared towards uh, the development and uh, multifamily side. Yeah. Okay, so they could just reach out to you through yeah, one of those and exactly, and then yeah. start the conversation from there. Sure, sure. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram or social media. It's Jose Jafarji. We'll make sure that that's all up in the uh, in the show notes. Jose, is there anything else that you would like to uh, leave our listeners and viewers with? before we uh we wrap up yeah you know what uh in this real estate investment game you got to be very patient but most importantly you got to take action for example if we if i look at myself just in the last six months we've learned so much about development and we'll continue to learn more about it but it's about taking action we if we if we could have sat down and said hey you know take this very slowly but you're never going to get far if you just have that kind of mindset you got to you got to push it really hard to launch uh, a new project, right? Yeah. To launch a new concept. So it's it's about just giving it your best shot. Like you got to go all in into launching something, whether it's a buying a, your first property or your 10th property. It's just going uh, as as hard as you can in order for you to get somewhere so you gotta you gotta put all your cards on the table and yes. all your chi- or all your chips on the table so to speak kind of kind of referring to almost uh, what comes to mind is the the you know grant cardone 10x principle right if you're just gonna expect to you know do one one x you're not gonna get to that right level so on that note because i find it very uh, on topic is do you have a specific tip for personal organization? Uh, I can speak from my own experience. I got a lot going on. Yeah. And I've tried a lot of systems to capture information and, and, and things that come into my life onto a list and then organize it. I, I've by no means come anywhere near perfecting that. Just curious if you have something, a little trick up your sleeve that you can share with us. Well, I don't think it's uh, that... Com- it's that um, high tech, but I simply use a journal like or, or a notebook and... Take as many notes as possible. So I, I, if I'm speaking with somebody, I'll always have a notepad with me. So all day long, you're writing. All day you're long, writing I'm, stuff I'm writing stuff. Where's your notepad? And then, <laughs> and then, um, towards the end, I may highlight certain things. Yeah. To follow up on. Right. 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 But I, I'm just one of those guys that I can't memorize anything. I, I have to write down everything. It's smart because then later on you can go back and dissect what yes. what needs action, what exactly. doesn't. Brilliant. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. And I think that's a gold nugget for this episode is capture what's coming into your head because I, I was just reading about this this morning, uh, reading... And pen to paper, not, yeah. not, you know, typing on your on your phone. I find that I find that um, it's not as effective. You know, when you, when you have the pen to paper, it's... Yeah, you just everything in your mind, right? Because like our brains are almost, you know, we, we have a stress and a subconscious stress if we don't write things down, right? Well, if you didn't write it down, then you're relying on your brain to remember it. 
And, and that's, that's a stressful and, and probably yeah, less effective way of being. Very cool. Glad you shared that. And uh, just real quick, uh, if people wanted to know what you do when you're not focused on real estate and giving it 10x, uh, what are you doing? I'm uh, spending a lot of time with family right now uh, with my, my, my twins and my three and a half year old. So it's a, it's a busy household. And then uh, these precious moments, uh, they grew up so fast. Uh, I just, you know, I, I try to be there for my kids as much as I can. Well, I will uh, leave it at that. Thanks so much, Jose, for, for making the trip down here. It was great conversation. I really enjoyed that. And I'm sure that our viewers and listeners will too. So uh, thanks again. We'll, uh, we'll see you on the next one. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, thanks for watching today's episode. If you have not already done so, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you're on YouTube, please make sure you click that like and subscribe button as well as the notification bell. Leave me a comment below. And while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody that you think it can help? I would really appreciate it and it's gonna help this podcast grow and help build the community around it. Thanks a lot. We'll see you on the next episode.